Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the CEOs, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis and Ann are speaking with Matt Hawkins, CEO of Cresco Capital Partners, a U.S.-based private equity investment firm dedicated to investing in the cannabis industry. Since its inception in 2014, Matt and Cresco have invested over $50 million in the cannabis industry, helping to give accredited investors access to a diversified range of investment opportunities in the space, including cultivation, retail, and ancillary accessories. If you're an investor, someone trying to make money in the cannabis industry, or just someone who closely follows marijuana market trends, then this is the episode for you. And make sure to check out CrescoCapitalPartners.com after the interview. Don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our interview with Matt Hawkins of Cresco Capital Partners. So we are recording today on March 26th, which is a Tuesday, the day after New Jersey shit the bed. And I wanted to invite Shay Gunther, our producer, to join just a little bit of chat about what happened yesterday. Um, everybody knows Shay from Marijuana Today, Marijuana Today Daily, and our production. He's also been around in the industry from SSDP and other places you know, to really be able to give some context. So what the fuck happened yesterday in New Jersey? How the fuck did these guys screw this up so badly? No one snatches defeat from the jaws of victory quite like Democrats. Or quite like New Jersey. Or quite like New Jersey. It wasn't just the Democrats. It, it was, it, there, was it, there were four or five Democrats that voted no, and then there was one Republican who voted no. The Republican voted no because of expungement. Go figure, you know. The Democrats, their votes were different. They were much more based, they were both based on expungement and on social equity and social justice issues. But But I doesn't still it don't speak to it. the larger issue of, of the stigma um, and the, the education and kind of evangelism that still needs to happen? Not evangelism, just education. Um, you know, because, because people are, are worried about having this in their communities. I mean, there's, you know... Uh, People are willing to vote for it, you know, in theory. But when it comes to do you want a, a dispensary, a medicinal dispensary or an adult use dispensary in your town? And most people say no. I would say yes, please. I, I think it came down to the sausage making in the legislative process. Um, you know, there was a real mix between urban and rural. It wasn't suburban guys who voted no it was the urban and suburban the rural guys who voted no um shay you've seen this before you've been in the movement for 20 years or so can you give us a little context about what happened or you know not the specifics of new jersey but compared to like the other states that have gone through this process i think one of the things that uh i mean definitely factored into play is there's there's more there, I, well, there's less willingness to just kind of settle 
um, you know, for any legalization bill. I mean, it's there are a lot of people and I say this. I know nothing about New Jersey politics. I know uh, I know that's complicated. I know that there's a lot of things, you know, going on that I don't know about. Uh, we you know, we should have Dan Goldman or Andrew Livingston on on the show uh, to New Jersey guys. Um, but, you know, there's people are less willing to say, OK, to any legalization bill, you know, so they want to make sure that it has uh, provisions, you know, the, addressing uh, social disparity, uh, economic disparity, racial disparity, uh, you know, empowerment for non-white men, uh, you know, to, to actually get involved in, in the industry. And, um, you know, my my thousand, ten thousand foot view on this is that uh there just was a lot of uh, kind of points of contention. And I don't know, actually know how active, uh, you know, our friends at uh, Project Sam and, uh, you know, other prohibitionist groups were, but uh, there's just, there's a lot of angles to kind of, you know, play oppositionally. So. Lewis, what's going to be the next step here? So the, the bill is basically on hold. So they didn't hold the vote because they didn't have the votes. They're going to let the, right. get through the budget madness and sausage making um and then it's gonna come up for a vote again in the fall well what they the it's either going to be the fall and if it's the fall it's next year um or they're going to try and get it in after the but budget they're still process going to do it legislatively versus they're gonna try, putting it they're going to do it legislative they cannot get it on the ballot this year and they're not sure that they could get it on the ballot for 18 i mean for 20 excuse me um you know, Shay, when we when Ann and I were in Las Vegas at um, the the MJ um, Today House, and we did that that great podcast with you, which we have referenced a million times. And if if you guys who listen to this show haven't listened to that, it's a must listen. Um, but one of the things that Chris Lotlicker said was the reason why the cannabis industry has been successful over the last. 20, 25 years um, in a way that the environmental industry had or issues haven't is cannabis has been willing to compromise and take what we can get. Um, whereas environmental has been an all or nothing perspective. I, did we blow this yesterday? You know, did we just not, did we, did, like I said, did we lose the perfect for the good? No, I mean, I think the, the lesson there the is that, uh, you know, this is a stumbling block, but like, you know, we're going to get there, you know, New Jersey's going to legalize sometime. Um, you know, this is, this is really just, I mean, this is negatively affecting, you know, the people in New Jersey who are going to have less patient access. Um, you know, I guess, you know, cry for the entrepreneurs who won't, you know, be millionaires quite yet. Um, you know, but, or the kid or the kids who are, get, who are still going to get arrested. Right. Oh I mean, yeah, totally. The- I mean, yeah, I mean all of that. I mean, it's, it's the people of New Jersey who are going to feel this one, but, uh, but New York is going to legalize. I mean, everyone, everyone's legalizing. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's just where we are winning by baby steps and it's, you know, this is a baby step step that didn't happen, you know, because, you know, because I guess maybe we did want too much, but, um, for the overall movements, I mean, this is just, this is a, a, a hiccup. Um, but it's one, the industry you know, is used to, right? Uh, what, what losing? Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we lose all the time. I mean, we, you know, we win one and we lose 10, you know I mean? But, but we keep winning and, and now we're here. So, um, I don't know. This hurts more, I think, because I live in New Jersey. It's, all uh, it's, about it's big. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to downplay, you know, the the, the negative impact at all. Um, but for the overall push, you know, I mean, this is this is not, you know, this isn't a sign that things are slowing down for legalization or you know, progressive movement in that direction. 
No, I agree. It's just a bummer, man. It's it's yeah, it's, totally. It's, you know, you it's when you're in the industry, it feels when you're in the industry on the corporate level, it feels inevitable, right? It feels just like this is happening, and it and it's and it's rolling forward, and there's all this money, and then sometimes I guess you forget. That guys like you and Chris and Chris Crane and the guys at Normal have been on the front lines for years, losing more than you've won. Where you know, for me and and I'm I'm going to speak for Ann, we haven't lost yet. You know, this is the first time I can really feel like a a palpable like really fuck this lost. Yeah, well, yeah. So, well, welcome to uh, welcome to my world. <laughs> you, we finally made it, Lewis. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you guys have a right. It. You get your patch. You get your activist patch yes. now. Your your bloody your bloody nose activist patch. Well, and and just so our listeners know, we're also going to be talking to Justin Zarimba from New Jersey Cannabis Insider, um, probably the week after this episode airs. So that'll be really interesting to get his point of view too. He's been no one's been closer to the issue than those guys. Let's get to our conversation with Matt Hawkins from Cresco Capital Partners. Matt's a really cool guy. Full disclosure, Cresco is a client of KCSA's. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this hopefully as much as we do. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You bet. Happy to be here. Well, um, you and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of months, and I have become a huge fan of Cresco Capital. So why don't we just start with your cannabis story? How did you get involved in, um, in the industry in general and then getting into investing in cannabis? You bet. Um, well, I've been in private equity for my whole career. I, have, uh, I live in Dallas, Texas been investing through various entities uh, with an institutional fund. I've raised several funds on my own for varying strategies. Uh, I had an exit on a multifamily uh, acquisition platform in 2014. And one of the uh, one of the, the, the funds I had raised in the downturn was a private lending fund. <laughs> Excuse me. And I kind of turned that deal spigot back on and in 14 obviously is was right around the time of Colorado uh, Oregon state of Washington uh, becoming adult use legal and, and I mean I knew nothing about the cannabis space back then uh, all I know is that I started seeing uh, deal flow from brokers and uh, warehouse owners in Denver Colorado that were looking to refinance their mortgages uh, so they could then lease to growers. Obviously, with a commercial mortgage, a big covenant in those documents are you cannot house a Schedule One drug manufacturer, which is obviously what cannabis is, uh, much to all of our chagrin. And so they needed private capital to do it, and they were willing to pay a lender 12%, which I thought was very interesting. I kept thinking, wait a minute, I'm, this is great. I'm getting the security of this warehouse and I'm getting a nice yield, but what the heck is going on at that, you know, inside that warehouse that can afford this guy the ability to pay me 12%. So luckily, and it was just timing and luck, Lewis, is that I got, I just, you know, realized that, you know, private lending was something I had, uh, you know, I, I had learned about it in the downturn, but it certainly wasn't my number one skill set. And so I gravitated back towards the private equity side and started trying to figure out if I could underwrite these companies that were 
actually in the cannabis business itself. And that's so what I did. When you, and I guess, so, so maybe talk a little bit about the, the formation of, of Cresco. What's, what's its mission? Is your singular mission cannabis focused? And what's the difference between Cresco Capital and Cresco Labs? Yeah, sure. Let, let, let me let me get the, let, let me just kind of complete the, the the loop there. And so what I did, just to kind of further the the how I got into the game, is that I just started trying to socialize with high net worth individuals that were in my Rolodex. On and by the way, also trying to get extremely comfortable with the regulatory landscape because back in '14 it was completely different. Uh, and I needed to, you know, I had to put my name on this to go out and try to raise money and put my own money in it, et cetera. And, and it took me the better part of, you know, six months to, to really say, okay, I'm doing this. And that's when I started raising money for Cresco Capital Fund One, which is a, and to answer your question, is a, or, or was, I mean, from when we were raising it, it was a dedicated fund that was focused exclusively on the legalized cannabis space, and it was designed to give high net worth individuals and family offices access to that industry by using a very diversified approach. We invested up and down the value chain. We touched the plant. We invested in ancillary companies, you name it. So that that was the strategy, and the Cresco Labs I mean, Crisco is is Latin for grow, so it's a it's a you know obviously a common name, and I know a couple of guys over there, and that they're a multi-state operator. They they are you know, they are operating businesses that are in the space, uh, whereas we are investing in companies that are in the space. Okay, thank you. And when you approached, um, you know these these uh, high net worth individuals, or maybe these these um, family offices. What was the what were the first conversations like? Was it a lot of education on your side, or had you seen the curiosity peaked from from them as well, kind of at the same time that it peaked with you? Or you know, was there was it a hard sell on your side? Was it were people really receptive to it, or what was the, what were the first meetings like? The first meetings were like, Matt, have you lost your ever loving mind? <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm I'm not kidding you. I mean, I had one of my real estate investors sit me down over lunch and was giving, and he was, you know, he's 15, 20 years older than me. And he tried thinking he was giving me sage advice to, to, to not put my name on like an intervention. Pretty much. (laughs) I kind of felt like it was, I I think I started sweating. (laughs) And now, and now that you guys have gone through fun run and you've started to make money off of it, have you gone back to him and just kind of went, ha ha. Well, I, I mean, Lewis, I don't like to rub in people's noses in it like that, but, but I certainly <laughs> we'll have, uh, <laughs> I have had, uh, you know, nice conversations with him and, and maybe gigging him a little bit, but nothing, no, nothing crazy. Lewis, uh, well, and Lewis just mentioned Fund One. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, so we raised, so just kind of back to the story. So we started raising that capital for Fund One in, you know, late 14, early 15, and made our first investment out of the fund in the spring of 15. Uh, and we raised money for the fund until the spring of 17 when we closed it out. And we made, uh, gosh, 17 investments. Uh, we've had, we're about to have our ninth and tenth exits out of that fund, which is just, is, is just mind blowing to me. Uh, we, we were 
you know, we were part of a rising tide. We were, uh, you know, we, we got lucky with some of the deals we got in early. They were, I mean, I'll just kind of list off some of the names. I mean, we were. Wait, 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 before you do that, because uh, I have, I have a, no, 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 it's cool, but I have a really specific question around that, right? Because, like, you raised fund one and, and it was around $10 million, right? Correct. And you start to do your due diligence meetings and you're meeting with these companies. Who was the first company you, you wrote a check to? And talk about the experience of writing that check and then what their experience, if you can, of receiving the first institutional check was. Okay. Um, it's actually one of the, the first investments we made. It's still one of the ones that we haven't exited. It's a company called uh, Alternative Solutions in Washington, D.C. And it was – they had the uh, – they were one of the first licenses issued in the district for cultivation. Both and they, and they own licenses both for – uh, medicinal and recreational. A lot, a lot of people don't realize that the District of Columbia is actually recreationally legal, except the U.S. Congress is not allowing them to execute on that legality. Such a weird city. It's it's very very strange. But uh, but you know we looked at it as you know this was a limited issue issuance licensing or limited use licensing, uh, merit based licensing. Uh, the management team was comprised of a, you know, very successful real estate developer. His his son-in-law, who is a, uh, uh, he's Australian. He he worked for a huge Australian uh, uh, construction company. Was a project manager, and they hired a botanist out of MIT, a mathematician botanist, to kind of be their grower. And I and that really resonated with me because I was I found successful operators outside the industry you know back then in 14 and 15 you had a lot of the you know illegal uh, or growers from the illegal world that were trying to you know fashion themselves as master growers in the legalized world and it was and it was very in vogue back then and, and, and not at all now and uh, and I just never felt comfortable with that I felt like if I was going to be investing in this industry then I needed to be investing in guys that Understood, understood the federal illegality of it, and are all, but are, were only getting involved with their own skin in the game and their own risk by doing this on the legal side at either the state level or the you know, the district level, obviously. So when you wrote that first check, I mean, were your palms sweating like, holy shit, this is real, or were you confident? Like, what was that that feeling that was going through the pit of your stomach as you're writing this check? I don't yeah. think I had any. I mean, look, it's just like. As I say all the time, this is not, I mean, this is what I've been doing my whole career. I mean, I, I just, it's, you know, it's, it's, you take out the word widget and insert cannabis. I mean, we, we, you know, we underwrite these companies the exact same way we've done for 20 plus years, and that's backing management teams. I mean, we only invest in companies that have, you know, man, superior management teams that, that have their own skin in the game. And then we look for outsized returns in, in large markets where there's big market opportunities. It's really that. I mean, there's nothing. If you stick to those, you know, philosophical tenets and beliefs then, then, and, you, and you stay in that box, then you can really, you know, that's where you find the, the big opportunities, I think, in this industry and up and down the value chain. And that's, they're, they're not all going to work. I mean, that's why it's venture capital. I mean, it's it is private equity investing in a nascent space that makes it venture capital that also 
along with the, the, the federal illegality, you know, brings the risk-adjusted situation as well. So, so I did not, I was not nervous. I felt like we did the right thing and it was the right under right. Um, it, you know, they, they've done well. The, the problem is, is that like every single, uh, uh, regulatory agency and across the legalized landscape that they're, they, they make matters difficult in terms of how slow they move. Now on one were- hand, on, on one hand, it's very, very, comforting as an investor to have that protection in there of the regulatory agencies but on the other it's there's a lot of you know red tape and it takes forever for them to move and we've had that issue in, in dc for sure yeah dc is a is a, a we talked with shonda macias uh a couple weeks ago and and she's got one of the licenses in dc and it is a a uniquely screwed up market you, when you were talking about this investment, you were talking about investing in the management team, and there are there are theses of betting on the jockey or betting on the horse, right? Or am I betting on the underlying business, or am I betting on the management team? Are you guys a jockey better, a horse better, or a field better? Well, I mean, we we're we're betting on the jockey first and foremost, but that doesn't mean we're. I mean, we still have to believe in the business and believe in the opportunity, but. But, you know, all things equal, if there's a good management team with a, you know, a business that we that we like but aren't in love with versus a company that we are in love with but don't like the management team, we choose the former because it's not – I mean, you have to have the right team in place to execute, and and, and that's just the way we, we believe. And, we've, and, I, and I think we've, we've – I think, and we can get to some of the, the mistakes that I've made, but I think for the most part, uh, we've stuck to that with, with maybe, you know, one or two exceptions. And I can talk about that, you know, later. <laughs> well, I'd like to kind of continue on that line. What qualities do you look for in a management team? What, you know, because there's so many people, especially in this space, um, that have really interesting backgrounds. You know, you have people you coming in from the tech space or the the CPG space, but you also have people coming from the 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 black and gray markets. So, you know, what uh, what qualities do you look for in the in the management teams like that are coming to bear now? Yeah, we have not invested in anybody that's been in the black and gray market. That's just not for us. I, I don't. I that makes me uncomfortable. As I said, I mean, we're not. I, I'm not gonna back somebody that has been doing this, you know, illegally. Um, so that's number one. Number two, it's a lot easier now because you're right. There's a lot more people that are coming into the game that are very, very qualified, and they have they have successful track records. Um, that wasn't the case in 14, 15, and 16. Um, and so we had to work a lot harder to find the diamonds in the rough. And um, now there's, I mean, there's more deals than we know what to do with, and they're, and they're probably deals that we're going to miss out on because we can't do every single deal. Is there a story of an investor that you landed that you never thought you would, where you just were like, oh, this this person is just not here for it, and then a, a check shows up? Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a family office that we recently brought on board that uh, – that it took me, I mean, I started, you know, you know, talking to him, and I'm not going to use the word selling, but that's basically what I was doing. But I was working him since before Fund One closed, and he just now committed to Fund Two, and he's our, he's 
one of our largest investors, and not our largest now. And it, but it took, you know, that long for him to get comfortable with, with, with our team and the industry. And, and now, you know, they're going to be, you know, big, big players. Uh, so, and my follow up there is, what's the best no you've ever gotten? No, no is good. <laughs> <laughs> or what's the best, the most memorable no then? Change Did you ever get like a, a go fuck yourself? <laughs> Wait, can we cuss on this? You can say whatever the <laughs> hell you want, fucking dude. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I think the reality is is that uh, back in the way early days, just I, what I what really drove me crazy is the people that judge me and the people that you know had a problem with this ethically or morally that that then you know use that as is you know fodder against me and my you know acumen or my or my or my you know ethics and morals and, and that, that obviously was a you know never, that you never like to hear that but that 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 was that that because that's one thing that we've never done i mean if somebody has an ethical or moral objection to this i mean I, that is not my position to try to convince them otherwise i mean i respect that and and but if they didn't respect me and, and told me about it or told others i mean that's just stupid but, but it happened can we talk a little bit about how you guys work with the companies you invest in um you know some PE firms are passive investors, which means they just put money in. Others are passive, but more involved where they'll put money in and put people on board seats. And then there are some PE firms that when they buy a company, they buy a company. What's your strategy? So I would say we are uh, active minority investors. I mean, we don't buy, I mean, generally speaking, we don't buy majority control of companies because we want, I mean, that's, we're, cause we're, again, we're backing management teams. And, but having said that, you know, we do negotiate for, you know, either board seats or board observation rights or, you know, major decision controls or uh, major expenditure controls. I mean, you know, we, we want to empower the management team to, to execute on the business, but we also need to make sure that, that, you know, everything's above board and things are going the right way. And we can, we feel like, I mean, look, we've made, Gosh, almost 30 investments in the industry now, and, we, and collectively, all of our, all my partners and both funds and everything. I mean, we've deployed over 65 million dollars in the industry. I mean, we're we're strategic now, and you know, as we weren't strategic in Fund One, we were just as nascent as everybody else. But we do have an ecosystem now that you know that people want to be a part of, um, and 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 that's the thing that I'm the most proud of is that we we have. A good reputation in the industry. People want to be in our ecosystem. We can sometimes get better deal terms as a result. Let's let's talk about that ecosystem for a little bit. Uh, you know, there, private equity is a a mature vehicle for investing, often in more mature industries. Cannabis is not a mature industry in any stretch of the imagination. So when you're negotiating with these management teams. How familiar are they with your type of vehicle and how much education about what the value of working with Cresco do you have to provide? Or they're like, yeah, we get it. Let's go. Well, like I said, I think just in the past year or two, um, people have become a lot more familiar with us as one of the you know preeminent uh, you know, firms out there that's in the capital deployment space of the industry. So that's that's kind of taking care of itself a little bit. Um, and they know what companies that 
we've invested in. And so that to me actually, when, I mean, look, you need to do your diligence on both sides. I mean, when, when people, when management teams know more about us, um, that is, that gives me a, a, you know, a comforting feeling because that, I mean, that, that I, I don't, they need to know about us. And if they haven't spent the time to do that, then shame on them. You guys have invested in, um, I, I want to talk about a little, a little bit about your portfolio, but you've invested in some of the early quote unquote unicorns in this space, like acreage and uh, GTI. How did you get into those deals and how many unicorns do you think you have in the portfolio? Um, well, I mean, a lot of it was timing and a lot of it was luck. I mean, we just happened to, you know, we've got, you know, I think the, our biggest win thus far has been, uh, the Ebu transaction. We were very, very early investors in that. And, the you know, that was one of our, that was probably our second investment, um, of fund one. And well, hold on just for people who don't know what Ebu is and who bought them. Can you take a moment on that? I mean, Ebu is a, is a, Basically, I mean, for lack of a better description, it's a technology licensing company that sold to Canopy Growth. Uh, and it was for a big, big, big number. I mean, our, on our, in our multiple was, you know, depending on how, how much more we get in the upside of the, uh, uh, of the, of the, um, of the transaction, it's going to be somewhere between a 13 and a 15x. Oh. Crazy numbers, and uh, <laughs> and so that that just wow. is. Drinks are on you. And 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 the truth is, and then we have acreage, which at the current share price is about the same multiple. Um, and we just got again lucky to be, you know, introduced to Kevin Murphy, and um, we're very very close to them through you know a variety of, of transactions we've done with them, and uh, and continue to hopefully do. And we were. Early investors in GTI. Uh, so I mean, those are, and then we we were also early investors in the uh, Grow Healthy license in Florida that sold to Iantis. So those were our big uh, public exits. We are investors in a couple of deals that are um, that have been announced that are about to sell to to, to Cureleaf. Um, so those are uh, you know going to be big wins for Fund One as well. Uh, you know, one of my, you know, I spent a lot of time on the Harborside deal. I mean, I'm on the board there, and that was another early investment for us through the farm that then merged into the holding company that uh, once the laws changed in 16, that gave us the ability to do that. And, you know, if, if everything goes the way we want it to, we should be listed uh, later this spring on the CSC. And, you know, and we have a, a, a an amazing plan in place to get us to revenues that will be, uh, you know, very, very substantial and should justify, a, you know, a share price that's going to be a big win for the fund as well. So, and that's, and that actually is where fund one was in the farm and then fund two is actually in the, uh, the parent company. And so that'll be a win for both funds. The way you're describing your relationship with Harborside and, and in others, you really have a sense of ownership. I mean, you're on the board of Harborside. Um, is this the kind of sense of ownership you bring to all of your investments? Not, not all of them, but but the larger positions we take clearly. I mean, we you know we want to um, you know we we want there to be situations where. Uh, um, we, you know, we're either on the board or we have uh, board observation, like I said, or you know, we maybe we're part of a syndicate that we know the, the the investing sponsor well, and they have the position. 
where we've spent a lot of time talking about fund one and, and kind of dancing a little bit around fund two. What's the difference between the funds and when do you think you're going to close fund two? Is there a different thesis is what I'm saying? Well, the thesis is the same. It's to give high net worth individuals and family offices access to the space using a diversified approach. Having said that, we have in fund two, just with, with how the industry has matured, I mean, we've matured with where we look to invest in the value chain. So, for example, we wouldn't do just a straight cultivation play right now. I mean, we, you know, we need to have vertical integration just simply because cultivation is a race to the bottom, in our opinion. Uh, we are you know, intimately involved in looking at, you know, uh, you know, product companies, you know, uh, uh, brands and that are successful in California looking to move elsewhere, uh, technologies in the space, you know, services, uh, multi-state operators that are at an early stage of the game. I mean, there's still plenty of room for, you know, the aggregation side of this business to, to, to still be in play. But, um, but look, I mean, the, 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 the concept is the same. The, uh, the trick is, is still finding the diamond in the rough. And it's, you know, we feel like we're uniquely positioned to be able to do so. What about CBD? How does that fit in or does it? Well, it doesn't fit in with us right now. Um, the, in my opinion, and, and, and actually it's, and, and some of my partners actually have differing opinions, but that's okay. Um, you know, we, once the farm bill passed at the federal level, obviously each state has to, to have their own, you know, say so on that. But basically what the, the federal legality now of, of hemp and CBD is brings in a whole nother level of regulatory scrutiny that wasn't in place prior, you know, meaning all these claims that are being made by straight CBD products that are on shelves are going to start being scrutinized. And, um, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. I mean, I've I've actually made a mistake of saying on a panel before that I don't believe that CBD actually you know works. I think it's a a placebo because I think there needs to be the entourage effect of THC. That's really not what I meant. What I meant, I meant that from an investment thesis, because each each body has their own endocannabinoid system. I get that. And everybody, you know, reacts differently to how the CBD uh, products are working, except for on the investment side, we have to be very, very careful about looking at deals where claims could be considered to be false. And that, that the consideration, it really lies with whatever the FDA says, because now it's federally legal. And so- I'm also having trouble getting my head around CBD deals just because there is no fundamental differentiation in the isolate. Yeah, you, you can either have full spectrum or you can have pure CBD isolate, but it is a fundamental commodity play. It's, it's akin to buying, you know, vitamin, you know, isolate vitamin C that's going to go into a nutraceutical. I don't get it. Like, I, I just I don't I don't understand it from a business perspective. It doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I mean, now, having said that, there's I've been reading about all these hemp farmers that can't keep up with all the demand and their supply is dwindling. And it's not just for CBD, but it's for the industrial uses, too. And I'm sure people are going to make crazy money. But but until we get more comfort from where this thing is headed from a regulatory framework, we're, we're on the sidelines. So so I want to talk about my favorite question. Um, which is failure. Failure is an evil prick. 
right? But the good thing that you've learned from failure in the past about undercapitalization and, and you know, this analysis has allowed you to identify a really, you think, good opportunity. So who's your favorite bet today that you you may not have done before, but because you have had, you, you've encountered these challenges, you are now like, yeah, I'm confident this is a winner. Okay. Well, number one, I'm not going to tell you who my, you know, favorite children are, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get that, that. That, that is that is really I I got to tell you I can't and this is not a knock on you I've been asked this question so many times but I just can't stand that question because um, I I honestly don't know I mean I know that we are confident in every deal that we do and 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 it has to pass muster with you know all the different all the levels of scrutiny that that the underwrite process brings into play. And the truth of the matter is, as investors, we should be confident in every single one of those, you know, being the top dog. Um, I'm as competitive as the next guy. I don't, I don't want to have any goose eggs. But the reality is, in the fund structure, we're likely going to have it, and that's, and that's okay. That, that to me is exactly what the big, the biggest selling point is to high net worth individuals or family offices. In that, we've been doing this longer than just about anybody else. We will still make mistakes, but we're going to limit the mistakes that, 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 that you would make doing this yourself because you don't know shit. And, and if you try to do this on your own or even go hire somebody to try to do this, you're going to find yourself stuck in the mud, either not making any investments or potentially making too many of the wrong bets. We, we know where the bodies are buried. We know where the booby traps are. We have, you know, been to the school of hard knocks in this industry. And so that's where we can sell ourselves to these folks by saying, look, you know, this is why we get paid, you know, the, the 2% management fee and the 20% carried interest is because we can mitigate your risk that way. And it's also through a, you know, we're making a bunch of bets. So if you want to invest a million dollars into a fund, yeah, you're giving up 20% of the economics, but, it, but you're, you know, hopefully getting – access to you know 20 some odd deals versus you writing a million dollar check in one deal i mean it's the shotgun versus the rifle and in a nascent industry it's my opinion that that's the right way to do it we talk a lot about uh corporate cannabis on this podcast and the struggles between um you know the industry struggles between the um the, the suits and the stoners although we hate stoners we hate the word stoners and we don't hate stoners we love stoners but um we need to workshop a better word for that but um you know, as there's more, <laughs> also Anne's stream of consciousness podcast. Um, but you know, as corporate cannabis seems to be driving out the little guy, do you think there's still room for startups? For sure, absolutely. I mean, the reality is, is that you know, we we keep talking about all these big boys entering the game, and um, you know, and, and, and yes, that's been great and all, but the reality is, is there's a Still a dearth of capital uh, in the industry. I mean, until you know, institutional capital is 100% in the game. You know, that's going to be the situation. Um, and there's also a, you know, there's 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 plenty of opportunities up and down the value chain for you know entrepreneurs to come in with with great ideas to to help you know execute on the on the process. Meet, be it a uh, picks and shovel type thing or a service that helps, 
uh, a certain, you know, or a provider that's, that, that's, that's, uh, you know, in the, in the people business in some form or fashion. I mean, look, there, I, I, we could sit here and talk for another hour about just all the different opportunities that are out there, you know, from a, uh, from a, you know, a company development standpoint that, that, that people could take advantage of. So I think there's any number of opportunities for entrepreneurs to get into the space still. I got a question that's kind of two-sided. Um, one is about deal flow, and then the other is like, so let's, let me, I'll just lay it out there. So raising capital is really hard in this industry, right? There's not a lot of use out there, institutional capital that has the ability to deploy. If you were going to talk to a smaller entrepreneurial company that is below your radar, right? You're like, they just, you're, they're too small for you. Is there any advice you would give somebody who's looking to raise less than a million, you know, up to a million dollars? Like what, how should they do that? And then concurrently, how are you getting your deal flow? Where are you seeing these companies from? Um, okay. So first of all, the, yeah, for, for, I mean, we are more, you know, Series A or, you know, first institutional capital. And then obviously before that, there's friends and family and seed stage type investing and those types of. So if you don't, if you've got an idea that looks great and your family doesn't have any money and your friends don't want to do it, uh, go to to something like ArcView. I mean, ArcView is a great, it is the first angel, proven angel network that's in the space. Uh, and, um, and we believe in art view. Um, and, uh, I think that there is a tremendous opportunity, uh, for art view to expand their footprint to, you know, to provide seed stage financing for companies that could be, uh, positioned to then come to us once they're successful. So that's, you know, obviously deal flow through things like that is beneficial to us. But, but again, I'll go back the deal flow from, a ecosystem standpoint is is really where we are now getting most of our deals i mean we are you know we're very involved in you know all the different uh, industry events that are out there you know we get our name out there a lot more now than we used to Uh, people are aware of us but again the reality is is that people you know people know who we've invested in and people want to be part of that ecosystem and so we get a lot of inbound deals more than we know what to do with quite frankly but like any private equity shop or a venture capital shop, it always helps to have, you know, either a warm introduction or um, either through an individual or through one of our a company that we know. And so that's starting to happen now. And that's what makes it really, really exciting because um, it, it, it's starting to feel more like, you know, institutionalized private equity, which is, you know, obviously what we've done in the past. What are the size of the deals that you're doing now? I mean, we'll invest anywhere from, you know, a million up to five million. Um, and we'll do, you know, usually if it's, if it's something as big as five million, we would offer a co-invest, uh, opportunity to our investors, which a lot of, a lot of them take advantage of that. We have a, a very robust co-investment strategy in that we charge, uh, lesser economics. We charge one in 10 versus two in 20 on our co-invest vehicles. And we've had, you know, a very big percentage of our fund two deals already, which we have 11 investments out of fund two, uh, you know, a good portion of those have had co-invest buckets. We'll make sure that we uh, have a link into the, in the show notes for, um, you know, if you are an accredited investor and you want more information about the funds, we'll, uh, we'll include that in our show notes. So, um, 
yeah, if if you're interested, you guys are. CapitalPartners.com. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you must have a good PR firm to uh, to train you there. Good job. By the way, full full disclosure, <laughs> we are the PR firm. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's take a turn and talk about how, how you. Um, Lewis tells me, uh, you've got some kiddos. How do you talk to them about what you do? And I guess just the broader question of how do you talk to your friends and family about, about what you do? Are you finding that you're having the same sort of similar conversations with them that you have with, you know, the initial investors? Like, you know, no, I'm not crazy. Hear me out. Um, no, now, <laughs> I mean, now it's, it's, you know, a hell of a lot of fun. But I mean, back then, it wasn't. And, and, and quite frankly, I, you know, even though I was out there doing it, I did not have my ass all the way out there. I mean, I was still like, <laughs> you only had one cheek out the car window. Pretty much. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I, you know, I'd probably been doing this for a year before I even told my daughter who was, let's see, she's, she was 15 at the time. And when I finally told her, she was like, Oh, that's great. My dad's a drug dealer. And uh, and then I think she went and kind of socialized it with her friends at school, and they were like, "That's kind of cool." And so that was actually the big, you know, turning point. Well, then I was, you know, I was never embarrassed of it. I was just, I mean, look, I live in Dallas, Texas. I mean, it's a conservative bastion state, and so it was hard for me to, to, you know, really, you know, professionally get that out there. But then I'm telling you, it, I mean, just like the industry has grown from a top line standpoint with the hockey stick. But the most amazing thing about this industry is the hockey stick growth of the acceptance of this. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's now one of the few, in my opinion, one of the few nonpartisan issues that are, that's out there. I mean, yeah. everybody understands that, you know, that the taxation of this and the regular and, and, and the regulation of this makes more sense than having 50 to $70 billion worth of illicit activity going on that no one benefits from. How do you explain what the fuck happened in New Jersey yesterday? Cause I, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, look, it's, that, that is, that to me is that, that's a, that's a big setback in my opinion. I mean, that, that, that is, I, I haven't read enough about it and it feels like what I've read. There's still, it's kind of like the, uh, Mueller report. No one really knows exactly what what's going on yet, and so uh, and and I don't want to say another word about the presidency, so we're not going to talk about it. But that is, but 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 this whole thing in New Jersey is, you know, there's obviously you know political motives here because I think if you just a week ago you you took some you know some polling data suggested that it was a no brainer. I, I, I don't know. I, they, I think it's, you know, we talked, Ann and I talked um, and Shay about this in, in at the opening. You know, I, I just think that they sacrificed the, the, the great, you know, the good for the great, right? You know, they're not going to get it right 100%. And you can always tweak the damn law later. Just get it done. It's just unbelievable. I know. I don't get it. Uh, but look, it doesn't. This thing is still alive and well. It's not going anywhere. They'll 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 pass it. It's you know but you know at the when when the timing's right. So but it was still a little bit of a uh, I was I was surprised for sure. 
So what do you think is, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're a Texan. What's the biggest underreported story in the industry? What should, what would you like to see on the cover of the Dallas morning news when it comes to the industry? <laughs> that, uh, that, a you know, effectively a native Dallas site is one of the most preeminent cannabis investors in the industry. <laughs> and what would that person's name be? Oh, I don't know. Some, some, some dude named Matt. I don't know. <laughs> well, are you finding that there's more, you know, acceptance? Like I found it interesting that your daughter who is a teenager, her first reaction was my dad's a drug dealer. Um, that was also in 2000 and, you know, yeah. 16. Yeah. Now, and, and by the way, is she hitting you up for those same self, same drugs now? no, that's not funny, Lewis. <laughs> yes, it is, but that's okay. <laughs> um, again, it's, I mean, yeah, but the, but I guess the point I really was trying to make is that had I told her that in 2018, she would have been like, you know, holy shit, that is so cool, Dad. I mean, that's just because of the level of acceptance that, that that's in place, you know, now versus what it was back then and it's and it's uh it's truly amazing and you know even in and like i said even in the conservative city that dallas is and the state of texas is i mean it's it's i don't it, it's a it's a badge of honor i wear and i haven't no one i mean i, I haven't <laughs> i haven't been judged in a long time now i'll put it to you that way well, Matt, we have taken up enough of your time. Um, we have been lucky enough to be speaking with Matt Hawkins from Cresco Capital Partners. Um, and as I said, full disclosure, Cresco is a client of KCSA's. Um, I, I, I can't thank you enough. I think you have humanized the investing side of this industry in a way that others have just not been able to explain well so we we really appreciate it matt thank you appreciate thank you. that and i appreciate the time and uh yeah look forward to doing this for many many years our thanks to matt hawkins managing partner of cresco capital partners if you are an accredited investor and want to hear more about the fund please reach out to matt at ir at cresco capital partners.com or head to crescocapitalpartners.com for more info. Uh, let them know that you've heard about them through the Green Rush. To chat with us, you can email us at greenrush at kcsa.com or head to our Twitter page, which is a new-ish handle for us, at the underscore Green Rush. And we're also on Instagram. Just go look for us. One take, Shay. One take. Ooh, have fun editing that. <laughs>